Hello everyone, Chad here, and just a quick disclaimer before the episode gets started. There are some audio issues in this podcast, there are some slight echoes of my voice, and there is some like wire movement issues. Hopefully you can bear through it. It's a great conversation, and so forgive me, this issue won't happen again, but I just wanted to let you know ahead of time that it does exist, and I hope you listen through it anyways. Thank you all so much. Bye. Welcome to the fifth bonus episode of the Cinescope Podcast. For the first time ever, we have a new guest making a first appearance on a bonus episode, rather than on a main episode. So this is Miss Jessie Nelson, and today we're talking about the 2017 live-action remake of the 1991 animated classic, Beauty and the Beast. Jessie, how are you doing tonight? I'm great, how are you? I am doing well. It's a, it's a little late on my end of things, my, my part of the world, but uh, no, it's not a big deal at all. This is uh, a new record for latest podcast recording, I think, and oh, that's no. that's a-okay with me because I'd be awake anyways, so. <laughs> blame LA. Just yeah, blame, blame LA. LA. I, yeah. I will do that. <laughs> well, how about for those people out there who don't know you, how about you introduce yourself? Uh, well, I'm Jessie Nelson, and uh, I'm a composer for film and TV. I have written for my, my I should start with my boss's Mike Kramer, who is just an extraordinarily talented uh, composer. And um, he's very generous and lets me write for him for Lego Star Wars and Ninjago and a couple uh, films we did last year. And um, on the side, I'm actually part of Sideshow Sound, which is another podcast. Yes, yes. yes. We've had on um, Will and Ian. From yeah. Sideshow. Perfect. Yeah, they're so great. Yeah. Um, I think it was myself and Will and Wendell and Xander that originally found it. And then by some miracle, Ian came along and he's just amazing. So that's he, great. Well, by his own profession, of course. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that is pretty much it because all I do is work, which is great. It's a great thing. But yeah, we have some crazy deadlines and constant work. So Yes. Uh, it's a it's a very fun field to be in, I would imagine. Yes. Oh my gosh. There's nothing else I'd want to do. That's for sure. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Well, now that you have introduced yourself, let's go ahead and move on to our main movie discussion. So, are you are you ready? I am so ready. Me too. So we are talking about Beauty and the Beast, the 2017 live action remake edition. It was released just this past weekend, March 17th, 2017. It was directed by Bill Condon, who also directed Dreamgirls, The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Parts 1 and 2, The Fifth Estate, and Mr. Holmes. It was written by Stephen Chbosky and Evan Spiliotopoulos. I didn't practice that, but I'm Ooh, glad that came out okay. That was beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, Stephen Chbosky is interesting because he's the guy who wrote The Perks of Being a Wallflower and also oh. wrote the screenplay and directed the film version of that same movie starring Emma Watson. So, Emma Watson, yeah. Yeah. The music here is by Mr. Alan Menken. God bless him. He's back. He's amazing. <laughs> he is. He also <laughs> is known for The Little Shop of Horrors, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast 1991 edition. Newsies, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Hercules, Enchanted, and Tangled, just a few of his selections. <laughs> and then the songs are by Mencken and Howard Ashman, who also collaborated on Little Shop of Horrors, The Little Mermaid, and Howard Ashman was also the lyricist for Aladdin's songs, Arabian Nights, Friend Like Me, and Prince Ali before he passed 
um, in 91, I believe. And then new songs composed just for this version are by Mencken and Tim Rice. And Tim Rice finished Howard Ashman's work for Aladdin, worked with Elton John for The Lion King and The Road to El Dorado. And that's the music. This movie stars Emma Watson as Belle, Dan Stevens as The Beast, Luke Evans as Gaston, Josh Gad as LeFou, Kevin Klein as Maurice, Hugh McGregor as Lumiere, and I'm just going to go through the rest of the names. Stanley Tucci, Emma Thompson, Audra McDonald, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, and Ian McKellen. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> uh, just a tiny cast list here. Yeah, just small. Well, as I like to start off these bonus episodes, we are going to start spoiler-free. So if you've been listening up to this point, we've not said anything that's going to give away anything extra in this film. And so we're going to start off with just some general thoughts. So, Jesse, mm -hmm. overall, would you say, is this a worthy follow-up to the animated classic? And how does it compare in terms of story and music? Oh, gosh. Well, first of all, absolutely worth it. Totally. It's so good. I was, of course, if, if you've ever listened to any of the Sideshow episodes that I'm in, I'm always talking about how I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this one, yeah, I was crying like a little girl in the theater. It was, it was amazing. I kind of felt bad for the people sitting around me, but, um, <laughs> it's so beautiful and it's, it's so well done, both in story and in music. And, the and I will not give anything away, but the things that are missing from this film that were in the original, they're not really missed because the story continues so well. And the music. Oh the music. The music is so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's like it's so nice to hear Alan Menken back in his prime and like Oh, those melodies. And you know, it's so interesting to me listening to them again and really kind of tearing them apart, um, in a good way. Uh, they're they're very simple. They're they are incredibly simple, but they're so I don't know what the right word is. I mean, emotive, I guess. But they're they're they just take you to a whole nother level. And and it's you know being a fan of the original, yeah, it's this beautiful thing of nostalgia, and and it's very sentimental. And I thought that uh, the score was just it it helped enhance the old score even more. I agree with all of those points. I think, yes, this is a worthy follow-up. The The story is basically the same. They didn't, like, redo the whole thing here. It's the same story we know. They have added some stuff, which is good. Mm -hmm. The The music is really good. The, the singers are mostly fine. And the new songs <laughs> are good. And Evermore, specifically, Ugh. I think was my favorite of the new songs. Mine too, totally. And... The only maybe problem I had with the original songs that came back were there were some changed lyrics and I was like in the moment singing along and I was like, wait a second, that's different. <laughs> wait, that wasn't that wasn't right. Yeah, no, I had right. the same same issue. <laughs> but that aside, that's something I'm gonna forgive over time and that was just uh, yeah. a, a gut yeah. reaction. And so everything I think is fine. So I'm I'm guessing you're gonna say, yes, the film's existence feels justified. Absolutely. I think so too. I mean there's nothing wrong with these reimaginations, I don't think. It, oh, it's, no, it's the same thing. It doesn't, it's not like they've pulled a George Lucas and gone back to the original <laughs> and spliced it and cut it the way they want it. it it's still the same film. I, I bought Beauty and the Beast 1991 edition on Blu-ray this past week, and I'm going to mm -hmm. sit down and I'm going to watch it, and it's going to be the same movie I watched when I was an infant, right? Yeah, so no, totally. The existence of this live action does not change anything. No, and I, I actually just watched the original, and... I mean, it's crazy how like similar the scenes are. Or I shouldn't even say similar. They're like exact copies. It's it's crazy. They did such a good job. 
Right. And that being said, though, it's not like you're watching a live action shot by shot version of the 1991 film. So, Correct. so Correct. while they do definitely harken back to some of the more iconic scenes and those are mm-hmm. somewhat lifted, it, it doesn't feel like I'm just watching a shot for shot remake, which is something I don't think anybody wanted. No, no, no. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, I think they did perfect justice to the fans so that those little moments that were very similar, you were just like, oh, yay, like, yeah, you know. Right, right. It makes you feel back at, you know, me being, oh, God, how old was I in 91? Three? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was negative one. Oh, my gosh, I'm so old. <laughs> just, just negative one. Not not too much of an age so difference old. there. <laughs> Great. I mean, yeah, me, me too. I was negative one. <laughs> Well, I think we would both agree that this is worth seeing in the theater, I think, because yes. while it, it's it's going to be good on home video, there's something about seeing this one in particular in the theater. We've heard news today that it's made bukus and bukus of money. And <laughs> so you're going to be seeing it for these first couple of weeks with the theater full of people. And it's going to make that experience even better because it's going to be people who love the original and are there to see this new version brought to life. Absolutely. And just the, I mean, the cinematography alone is a reason enough to go see it in theaters. But then, you know, getting to hear the score on, like, a proper <laughs> right. theater sound system, if you will. I mean, it's, yeah, you have to go. Yes. And so I think I think that's our spoiler-free section. So we both gave it our, our highest regards. It's a fun movie. You should go see it. Yes. Don't let any controversy, whatever it is, throw you off. It, 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 yes. It's worth yes. seeing. So that's that. Yay. <laughs> and now at this point, we're going to be talking some spoilers. We're going to be going a little bit more in depth. And, you know, it's still the same story, but there are some new things, some new twists and turns along the way. And we will be revealing some of those. So just be prepared for that. If you're if you don't want spoilers, if you haven't watched the movie yet, don't listen past this point. <laughs> so, Jesse, my first question I want to ask you is, what are your opinions of the animated film and or the stage musical like what are your experiences with those before this version i actually i never got to see the live musical i do know some of the songs because i used to sing them for auditions (laughs) right right (laughs) which don't get me started on that but um yeah i guess i don't have much of a comparison between the two because i don't know the musical all that well but i was such a diehard fan of the original that i yeah i was actually really nervous for the new one to come out okay i I'm very familiar with both of them, okay. although I would say that that the original film wasn't necessarily a staple of my childhood like other Disney movies like Aladdin or The Lion King were. Sure. I liked The Beauty and the Beast. It just wasn't in constant rotation on my VHS player as a kid. <laughs> um, but my, my connection with the story and with the music really grew when I was in high school. I was in a production of Beauty and the Beast my junior year, oh. and hey, I was Gaston. <gasps> Yeah, no yeah, I, I was. That. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I had a great time. Maybe I'll include a picture in the show notes of me dressed uh, yeah. as Gaston. So I, I, I was very familiar with both versions. And I'll, I've got to say one of my sort of expectations for this film, I avoided all the promotional material. I maybe saw one or two trailers once. I didn't look at the soundtrack list. I didn't listen to the soundtrack. I went in mostly blind. And in a way, I think that kind of hurt my experience just a little bit. I love the movie. But I did have some disappointments, mostly regarding I was watching the film, and as I was watching, I was like, okay, here's where Human Again is. Oh, Human oh, Again's not there. Or yeah. here's where here's where um, 
home is or here's where if I can't love her is in the stage production. And so I was more or less expecting or wanting, I should say, a marriage of the animated film and the Broadway production. And that's that's not what this is. No, it's not at all. No. No. I will say it borrows some elements from the stage musical, Mm. but it the only song from the musical that makes it in is an instrumental version of one song. And that's in the the scenes when we are in Belle's room in the castle. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. I did not know that. Wow, that's crazy. It's an instrumental version of a song called Home. And it's uh, a oh, bell solo. I, yeah. I did know that. I, yes, I, yes. I, I sang that for an audition once. But I guess I didn't I didn't recall it that well because <laughs> right, <laughs> I right. was probably sobbing or something. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was pretty subtle for sure. But that that's the only one that really made it in. And there was maybe some one of the interludes in the Gaston song that came from the stage musical, I think. Sure. But aside from that, there there's very little representation from the stage musical. And like I said, that was one of my initial disappointments watching the movie. But it's because I was so unprepared for what this movie was going to be. I, I went in pretty blind compared to a lot of people, I think. Sure. That's that's yeah, that's kind of crazy because I actually didn't even sort of naively, I guess, think about the musical at all. I yeah. went in totally just thinking of the animated film. Huh. I'm so un- I'm so intrigued now. I want to go like talk to my <laughs> musical theater friends and be like, "So, <laughs> right, <laughs> what did you think?" I think for the stage musical, Alan Menken and I think it was probably Tim Rice, if I had to guess, <laughs> went in and composed additional songs for the musical versus the film. Sure. And so I was sort of expecting, okay, it's the same team. Maybe those will carry over, and they didn't, and that's okay. I forgive them. And uh, I'm sure on rewatches, not having that sort of expectation in the back of my head, it's going to hold up a lot even better than it already did. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that would totally kind of be blindsiding. I'm actually a little surprised now that that we've talked about a little bit that they didn't include more of the musical songs. That's interesting. Well, I I, I did look it up a little bit online, mm-hmm. and I think one of their reasonings was that the, the songs that they composed for the musical were written for a musical act. You've got an act one and you've got an act two. So Beast's big song comes at the end of act one. Sure. And in th- in this movie, it comes at the end of, you know, films are typically in like three acts. Mm-hmm. And so Beast Song Evermore comes at the end of act two. And so it's sort of the structure of it and the function of those songs within the stage musical versus in the film. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, that go- going back. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. just it's, it's, it's expectations. And that, sure. that's sort oh, of the totally. expectation I had. So let's move on to story. So mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of same. There's some different. What what are your your favorites in either category? Oh gosh. Okay. Well, what's different? Let me start there. So evermore, like we were kind of mentioned before, definitely my favorite new song. Agreed. Um, Agreed. It was it was really heartbreaking. Like the lyrics are really sad. Right. <laughs> Which. Watching this also again at, you know, my age now, which I will not say how old I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really sad story. And it's very relevant, like the context of the film and prejudice based on the fact that he's a beast or whatever. And it's just, it's, um, it's really heartbreaking to see again and, and to know that when I was a little kid singing these songs, I didn't really quite understand, like, the gravity of what, what was in the songs. Right, and I thought that the new songs did a really good job at continuing that. What was the uh, the was it, uh, was it called the Day in the Sun? Yeah, Days in the Sun. Days in the Sun. Oh, that when it, I think does it start with it's like the young little prince singing to his dying mother or whatever. 
I think so. Yeah, now that, that you mention it, yeah. And oh my god, I instantly started crying. I actually, <laughs> I enjoyed that song too. That's probably my second favorite, and the other one I can't even remember. <laughs> the other one I think is called, I have it written down here, How Does a Moment Last Forever? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was still good. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I don't think I can possibly dislike anything that Alan Menken's done. True. But I, I think of the three, that was maybe the the one in the back. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, for me, well, we already talked about how basically the, the, the framework of the story is exactly the same. It's been a while since I watched the animated film. You can maybe attest to this a little bit better than I can. But essentially, they're telling the exact same story here. The story is pretty much beat for beat the exact same. And there, there are only really minor differences in expansions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I liked those story expansions. It, it Honestly, it, it further fleshes out characters that were fairly one-dimensional looking back at the original film. I know for, for both of us, the original film is going to hold a lot of nostalgia value because we grew up with it in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. But looking back at it semi-objectively, this was a 90-minute film back in 1991. That was the Disney formula. You get 90 minutes to tell a story. And sometimes, sometimes the story does suffer just a little bit because things get rushed a little bit or characters don't get fleshed out entirely well or story elements are pushed by the wayside. And so the advantage this film had being about half an hour or so longer was it was able to take the time with those characters and with those story elements and really tell a fuller, more fleshed out story in a lot of ways. So I really appreciated most of the additions as far as story goes. So like one of the ones I liked was a, a sort of change that they made was the library that that bell borrows from in her town is from a pastor and it's like a little 10 book collection and so of course she's read all the books many many times and that makes the gift of the library in the castle from the beast so much more impactful That's, because yeah. because she's gone from this collection of 10 books to thousands of books and sure. you, you can really see how something like that would really change her life. And so I appreciated a change like that. And I really enjoyed the the expansion of the role of Belle's mother in her life. Yes, and how, how that, that strengthened the relationship with her father, who is less of a bumbling idiot in this movie, yes. which I enjoyed. Yes. Kevin Klein is great, and we'll get to that more later. But yeah. that, that's a, a, a story element that is, again, semi-borrowed from the musical because they there's a couple of songs that they duet together in the musical that that strengthen that relationship and so even though it's not the same song they have uh those moments where you're able to further connect with the characters a little bit more and i really appreciate stuff like that yeah me too so i i liked the longer runtime but the only thing i would say is there were a couple of small moments and i can't really name any specifically where i think they could have trimmed the fat just a little bit i like that it had a longer runtime i think it could have done with maybe five minutes less sure. or something like that where they, they just cleaned it up a little bit, sped up a couple of scenes, and I, I would have appreciated that just a little bit more. Not saying I was ever bored, but there were a couple of scenes that I think were a little chunky, and they could have they could have trimmed those down just a little bit. Yeah, I actually noticed that too. I'm trying to think of the specific scenes, and I can't really, can't really name any off the top of my head, but there were a few moments where I kind of went, huh. Again, I wasn't bored. It was just like that awkward, like, oh, this lingered just a hair too long type thing. Right. And like I said, I can't I can't think of any specific scenes yeah. either. I'd have to, I need a rewatch. I desperately need a rewatch of this yeah, movie. But that being said, there were not any scenes that stand out in my mind that I could just say I disliked. I think 
everything in this movie. I, I think it's a great movie. It's, it's really, really good. It is. And every scene that they added that wasn't in the animated version served the expansion of the story in a great way. So yeah, that, that's what I have to say about the story. Do you have anything to add? No, that's, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> well, cool. Let's go into characters. So starting with the obvious, let's talk about Belle. What did you think of Emma Watson as Belle? Well, okay. Let me start with, I want to be Emma Watson when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pretty I think I'm I like do too. Significantly older than her, but that's a good point. <laughs> um, I, she's perfect. I mean, she was amazing. And she, um, you know, the, the reason I've always loved Belle so much is because she's like the modern day feminist. <laughs> right. Um, and I thought that Emma did such a great job at just bringing that strength to her character. And, you know, she's fearless, but still extremely compassionate. And, um, yeah, I mean, the acting, unsurprisingly, was spot on. Yeah, it's the same Belle that, you know, I loved when I was a kid. Right, and I would almost say she's she's a little bit stronger there. There's a moment at the beginning of the film in, in a scene with her father where she she is able to keep her keep pace with her father yes, as as yeah. he's sort of inventor inventing and tinkering and stuff like that so she's she's not just book smart she's uh technically smart so she's yes. able to do things beyond what she was able to do in the animated film and like you said emma watson as bell is perfect yeah. i think that was one of those casting decisions even early on everybody was like okay i can get behind this <laughs> yep <laughs> and and so she was great and it turned out very very well i mentioned earlier maybe not all of the singers were incredibly good i wouldn't say emma watson was bad but you and i were yep. talking earlier about how there is a certain predilection for autotune that is pretty obvious yeah. in in her which is unfortunate it is because yeah. I, I i think she has a lovely voice i i think so too and i was also saying you know i heard ahead of time that you know emma watson's voice is pretty autotuned because she's not a professional singer like some of these other people have been mm -hmm. or have have a little bit more experience in her sure yeah and totally. i mean she's no Paige o'hara but no, she's but okay. Is. She's fine. Right. She right. is. She totally is. And I, and I, there's, you know, there's something that I, I appreciated about the quieter version of, of her voice because, you know, Belle wouldn't be, I don't know. I just can't see her out there being this belty, like singing out to the winds, you know? So I, I appreciated the smaller kind of introverted voice, but the, yeah, I struggled there with the auto tune. I, I, I feel like if they wouldn't have done so much, it's it would would have been I don't know. I think it was less obvious after Bell, the, like the first opening song. Yes, I noticed that too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that opening number, yeah, it's, it's a little too bad. But it's still, I mean, it was still fine. It was still great. Right, and, and it doesn't that, take away from her. No, not at all. Not at all. And the opening number is still amazing. And I I forget how I mean that thing goes on forever. It's like it seven does. minutes. It's so yeah. long. <laughs> And then we have Dan Stevens as the Beast. And Dan Stevens has a marvelous singing voice. Uh, I, I thought it was fantastic. Evermore was such a powerful song. And yeah. I, I I loved him as the Beast. I love the look of the Beast, too. I There was some weird controversy going... It wasn't controversy, but like discussion going in that you know, he looks fake. He looks blah, 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 blah. And I was like, he looks A-OK -okay to me. He looks like the cartoon. And that's what great. I wanted without looking totally. cartoonish. Absolutely. I thought he looked beautiful. I know some people struggled with like his horns and everything. I loved the attention to detail and I thought that um, the CGI that they did with his face was still very human-like and emotive and it didn't look like super fake. I Yeah, I loved it. And his voice, well, first of all, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, I'm not very familiar with Dan Stevens. I'm assuming you oh, watched Downton Abbey. Oh, do I ever. Well, okay, I? okay, there it I is. <laughs> um, yes, Matthew Crawley. Um, 
he, yeah, he did. I was really surprised by his singing voice. I do wish that, and I understand why they did it, but, you know, they had something there to make his voice sound deeper. Yes. And I, I wish they could have just let up on that just a tiny bit, because it was a little distracting to me. But um, but really, that's, you know, that's a very, very, very small detail. And this his voice was surprisingly very, very good. Agreed. And then one of the, the character expansions we were talking about, the Beast gets a pretty significant one in that the prologue, we actually see him lingering as a human for a little bit longer. Um, yeah. As we, we see the, the ball that he's throwing in his castle and being all selfish and dancing with all the ladies and turning away the Enchantress and all that kind of stuff, we, we see all of that. And then we learn over the course of the film that this is a learned behavior from his father because his mother died when he was a kid. And the reason all the other people in the castle are cursed along with him is because they didn't prevent this learned behavior. Exactly. And I love that that sort of double background addition where we, yes. we, we see why the beast is the way he is, why he's so selfish, why he's so rude. And we also see why all these others were punished alongside him. Because, you know, in the original film, you, you don't get that. You just, okay, they live in the castle, so they're cursed. Suck it. Yeah, I know. I love that, too, when, when that was revealed. I was like, oh, my God. Right. And <laughs> that I think that comes so from uh, Mrs. Potts. Is that who, who says it? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. So, yeah, the Beast, Belle, their romance was a lot more fleshed out in this version because you yes. have more than just something there to develop their relationship. You have something there, there, but yes. then you get a little stuff before, get a little stuff after. You get some just dialogue scenes, which are perfect, that help to make their relationship a little bit more believable. And the, I think, you know, they had nice little comic relief type moments that really helped elevate that, too. Because it's, it's a pretty heavy story. And, um, you know, sometimes I, you get nervous about the comic relief moments. Like, are they going to be too cheesy? But I thought they did a really good job. Yeah. Now, what about Maurice? Kevin Klein is Maurice. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love that man too. I'm just going to say that about everybody, but um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got to say just real quick. Uh -huh. I watch, do you watch Bob's Burgers? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, Kevin Klein is Mr. Fish Odor. Mm -hmm. And so every time I see Kevin Klein in a role, I hear Mr. Fish Odor. And he has this quote in one of the early episodes of season one where he goes, Ooh, I love the fog. And every time I hear Kevin Klein's voice, I hear that. So it wasn't too much of a distraction for me, but I definitely heard Mr. Fish Odor as Belle's father in this movie. I didn't even think about that. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I I was such a big fan of, uh, oh my God, what's it called? The Road to El Dorado? Yes, I actually just watched that this weekend. Yeah, and so, and he, you know, his voice, he's obviously one of the main characters. And so I already knew that he could sing and do the voice actor stuff. Um, but it was really good to see him back. And I don't know, there's something so soothing about his voice that it totally makes sense for him to be Belle's father in this. And like you said earlier, like, he's not just kind of a bumbling idiot. Yeah, he's more like an artist in this version. He, he really He's is. not an inventor. He's, he's an artist and a creator and a tinkerer. Totally. And yeah. I loved that. And he, you know, there was a, a sense of almost... Like a broken heart to him too, and I, I, um, I was really drawn to his character, and the little moment where he's singing the lullaby, yes, when Belle goes in, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, <and> tears, then... <laughs> right, and so that that relationship is more fleshed out. You find out how how desperate he was to protect Belle when he had to leave his wife behind, and how how heartbroken he was at having to do that, and 
you get a moment where he actually stands up to Gaston directly. He's, oh he gosh. says, you will never marry my daughter. You'll never marry my daughter. I, I like threw my arms up and I was so <laughs> proud. I was like, yes, we didn't get this in the animated film. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Klein is, is a great Maurice. He's not crazy old Maurice in this version. He's just <laughs> a, a loving father. Yeah. Well, speaking of crazy old Maurice, let's talk about Gaston a little bit. Luke <laughs> Evans is pitch perfect as as Mr. Gaston. Yes, and we'll touch more on this later, I'm sure, but he is by far my favorite vocal performance. Oh, he yes, he has a fabulous singing voice. Holy it's so cow. good. I was not ready for that either. <laughs> and you know, I was also not ready for Gaston to be perhaps more despicable in this version than he was in yeah. the animated film. He he almost has this sort of bipolarity to him. Totally. He where, totally does. LeFou definitely has to keep him in check a little bit more in this version where he, he's, yeah. he's so close to like beating Maurice to a pulp and then LeFou pulls him back, turns him around and he turns back around and he's smiling and he's calm again and then his anger gets worked up again. And so he, yeah. he's got a lot more range to his character in this version. Very much so. And he's scary. <laughs> he is. He is. And he's like, got this he look was, in his eyes. Know, oh, yeah. And I mean, he was scary in the animated one, too. But like this one, because we have a little bit more of the backstory or whatever, he's pretty terrifying. And he's a lot more manipulative, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where uh, there's a scene where Maurice has shown up after Gaston left him for dead, tied up next to a tree for the wolves to get him. And he's in the, the tavern and he has told everybody, Gaston left me for dead. And then Gaston shows up and entirely turns the situation around and takes the heat off of him and puts it onto Maurice. And that's how he gets Maurice committed. Yes. And it's just this, this mastery of manipulation and taking people's words and using it against them and twisting. Yeah. And using his own reputation. Yeah. Using his own reputation for his benefit. And it's crazy to see how manipulative and how evil he truly is in this version. And the way he kills Beast in this version is different, too. Instead of just stabbing him in the back, he, he, oh he literally God. shoots him from behind, from a distance, like like a coward. Twice. twice. Yeah, twice. Like, like the terrible. biggest coward. I have to laugh because I remember just, like, almost shrieking in my chair because I wasn't ready for it. I was waiting for the, you know, the stab or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so he shot him once and I freaked out and then I'm like, oh, my God. And then he shot him again and I was like, what? Right, right. Isn't this Disney? Like. <laughs> And then we have LeFou, who, as I said, keep keeps uh, Gaston in check. And I don't, I really don't want to touch on any sort of controversy on Le- in LeFou's character. But Josh Gad, I thought was great. I, you know, Josh Gad is another one of those characters who, when he was cast as LeFou a couple years ago, I thought, yes, Absolutely. that that is LeFou yeah. right there. Totally, totally. And we get more story on him too. I think actually my favorite part of the film, which it's kind of crazy because it's. <laughs> It's a small moment that has nothing to really do with... Well, no, it does. It's important. It's when Gaston locks up Maurice and Belle, and LeFou questions him on it. He's like, wait, are you, like... I don't know if we should do... I don't remember exactly what he says, but he's, like, unsure that this... He knows it's wrong. Right. And then the whole march onto the castle, he's he's questioning him the way there as well. Totally. And I was like... I thought that was a really good decision. Yeah, they definitely give LeFou some personality outside of Gaston obsession yes and so he has those moments where he questions gaston and he keeps yeah. gaston in check and then eventually spoiler i guess he yeah. defects on gaston and he turns against him he does because yeah. he, he, it's been the last straw and that that's great and he it gets to awesome. celebrate with the rest of the characters at the end of the movie 
totally he gets his little waltz at the end it was, yeah it was yeah great. yeah he was perfect and i and of course you know he's also one of those that is well obviously he was in frozen but he's got a great singing voice and it was perfect for this role yeah and i i've got a shout out to the end of uh gaston when he he starts trying to spell gaston's name and then he halfway through he says oh i just forgot that i'm illiterate and i don't know how to spell your name and then they just sing the last word anyways yeah good good awesome. moment good moment <laughs> And the last characters, I suppose, are, are all of our inanimate objects. And I've got to say, the inanimate objects were beautifully designed. Cogsworth, oh Lumiere, uh, Plumet, the wardrobe, the, the harpsichord, everything the harpsichord. is so beautifully designed. It really, I mean, blew me away. It really did. Because, you know, it, I think it would be pretty easy to let that stuff kind of look a little more on the, the, the fake side, if you will. Uh-huh. But yeah, no, I mean, they really gave them personality and, and, and so did the original, don't get me wrong, but the, knowing more of the backstory, like you said previously, about you know why they were cursed as well, you really felt for them. Agreed. And, and I like that they sort of reunited with people they had lost at the end of the film as well. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, which one was it? Was it Lumiere that was like, oh, God, turn back into... Or, no, 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 it was Cogsworth. Cogsworth. He's like, turn back into a clock. Turn back into <laughs> right. a clock. <laughs> Lumiere definitely steals the show when it comes to these inanimate objects. He he's definitely the star. Ewan McGregor, I think, is so energetic. He's perfect for the role. He's he's not Jerry Orbach, but I don't. Right. The only person who's Jerry Orbach is Jerry Orbach. He's so Jerry Orbach, yes. there there was no duplicating that to begin with. But Ewan McGregor, I thought, was wonderful and delightful as Lumiere. But I unfortunately, we didn't get much of anybody else. No, we really didn't. That that would be my one like actual complaint rather than disappointment was that you know. Ian McKellen is this, he's got this wonderfully distinguishable voice and he gets some funny lines as Cogsworth here, but he's not as prominent as he is in the animated film. No, because he was kind of the leader in the animated film. He was, he he was the one in charge. And even in this film, there's a line where he says, I'm the one in charge, but But, yeah, yeah, but Lumiere is the one who definitely takes charge or at least whenever he's on screen, he's the voice that you gravitate to because he, he has, he's the star of the show. Mm-hmm. That being said, I, I love Ian McKellen as Cogsworth. I thought he was one of those oh, yeah. great casting oh. choices. I, I loved at the end of something there when uh, he, he like it's an, a novel concept. Oh, I think there must be something that there wasn't there before. <laughs> like like nobody had been singing it for the last five minutes. <laughs> I, I loved him. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's of co- it's Ian McKellen. You know he's going to be fantastic no matter what. Yeah, and he's the one who I wanted more specifically, but I think all of them besides Lumiere could have used just a little bit more voice time. Yeah, especially like Emma Thompson because I'm just I'm such a big fan of hers. And yes. they gave I mean they did they gave her quite a bit of screen time for what her character has, but I still I mean, I'll always ask for more because she's just so amazing. Yeah, she was definitely number 2 to Lumiere as far as appearance yeah. and voice lines and that kind of stuff goes. Uh, but I mean we had Audrey McDonald, we have Stanley Tucci, we have Oh my gosh. Ian McKellen, and we just didn't have enough of them, I would say. But I totally that's okay. agree. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, some you know, some stuff has to go like that. But I, I actually didn't know that Stanley Tucci going into it was uh, the harpsichord. I can't remember right. his actual name. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember <laughs> the name either. He was so good. And another one of my little favorite moments I laughed so loud in the theater is at the end when like you see Stanley Tucci playing in the background and he's playing the harpsichord. <laughs> Yeah, and it's hysterical. I don't know if you haven't seen the film yet, and you're gonna go see it. Like, look for that moment because I was in tears from laughing. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, is is this a moment you were talking about where uh, 
as he's a harpsichord during the fight, he spits out all of the, the keys. And then when he's back into a human, he only has like three teeth because he spit out all of the keys, which were his <laughs> I teeth. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't catch that. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just laughing at his face because he was being so like over the top expressive on purpose. I'm sure. Right. And it was it was fantastic. <laughs> well, since we were just talking about a musical character, let's talk about the music. And for, I gotta say, this movie would not have been possible without Alan Menken returning. <sighs> Bar none. It it just would not have it would not have worked. There's nobody else who could come in and do what he did in so far as rearranging his music and writing new music that fits in with all the others. This movie would not have been possible without him coming back, and so I'm so thankful that he did. Yes, me too. My gosh, it, it yeah, it definitely wouldn't have worked. I mean, even and the new stuff fit seamlessly. It was beautiful, and it was Agreed. so nice to like hear those orchestrations again because that that specific sound is so well. Yes, of course, so Alan Menken, but so like my childhood, and and um, there were I think what is it? It's okay. So from the original. It's the the track The Beast Dies and the Transformation. Uh-huh. That is probably my favorite thing ever from that um that score from the original. You know, there was some reorchestration and reimagination of uh some of the bigger pieces, but this one I think they really kept the same for the most part. And they used it in a different spot, but oh man, I was crying so hard cuz that it was just so brilliantly used. And I totally skipped ahead because now I'm talking about the end of the film. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's okay. The The genius of Alan Menken is the very few, first few notes you hear of the prologue as the film is starting oh. and you get goosebumps. I know. I, I, I got goosebumps right off the bat. That bum, 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 bum. Yeah. But, but it's it's orchestrated so beautifully on the piano. Oh, I yes. love it so much. And then th- the same thing happened to me at the beginning of Bell, where you have the flute solo leading in. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And that's, that's what was so defining for the score for me as a kid, because I knew from pretty early on that I wanted to be a film composer. Uh-huh. Um, but uh-huh. this was this was the first Disney film that really, like, it stuck with me forever. Like, that the opening sequence is just there's i don't know there's like nothing else like it it's so brilliant and so haunting but beautiful and you're instantly drawn into the story and so yeah i was really really happy that they kept that in here i mean of course i, I can't imagine that they would ever change that but yeah it was it was really great to go back to it i i love that the orchestrations on the whole are just bigger and more lush which really fits into the the live action versus the animation I think they, it definitely needed to be expanded a little bit. And he, again, he does it so well. And then I, I did mention that the changed lyrics here and there were not my favorite thing from, from the familiar <laughs> songs, but I haven't listened to the soundtrack. And I know a lot of times soundtracks will include fuller versions of songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Maybe once I go and listen to the soundtrack by itself, maybe there are full versions of songs. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you can attest to that. I actually don't know. So I'll, I'll have to check it out and maybe report back. Yeah. But um, and I did mention the the Broadway songs, even though the, they weren't featured at all, except for the instrumental version of Home, each of them was sort of repurposed into a new song. Like the function of those songs within the Broadway musical was given to a new song for the the live action. So there's a song, well, Human Again, which was actually cut from the original animated film, but was included in the stage musical, was given to Days in the Sun. This the song that's talking about what what a great thing it would be to be human again 
right? This is what I would do if I had another day out in the sun, out as a human, feeling the warmth of the sun on my skin. That's This is what I would do. And so that served the same purpose. There's How Does a Moment Last Forever, new song, which uh, fills the purpose of a song written for the musical called No Matter What, which is a duet between Belle and Maurice, developing that relationship. And then you have Evermore, which takes the place of a song called If I Can't Love Her. And what what was great about Evermore was... Uh, well, if I can't love her, uses the the main theme from the prologue, the bum 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 bum, mm-hmm. um, and it iterates that into the song. So you have an actual lyrical song oh. based around that theme, and Evermore included some of that orchestration. I think I haven't listened to it much, but I think there's snippets of that prologue theme within Evermore. That sounds right. I'd yeah. have to yeah. also. I'd have to listen to it again. But yeah, right. But. Anyways, all that goes to say, Alan Menken's a genius. I'm so glad he's back. And that's so this, cool, though. I didn't yeah. know about that. Yeah, that's yeah. Th- this wouldn't have worked without him involved in this capacity. Oh, he's a god. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else to say about the music, Jesse? Oh man, um, it's it's totally just a. I mean, it's totally a side note, but I never I never realized how terrifying the mob song is oh it is and i've got to say as gaston that was probably my favorite one to sing oh i'm sure i'm <laughs> sure i goodness me because that's that's up there for me for like one of my favorite songs even though i mean it's it's really kind of a disgusting song it is um but man is it well written <laughs> yeah and it was it was like i don't know it felt more intense in the live action for me uh-huh. um my eyes were just like super wide the whole time and i was like Holy crap! One of those things again. Where being a kid, I didn't realize, you know, the depth of the song. But it's it's a good one. But it's yeah, it's really scary. Yeah, it's a lot more visceral because you're yes. you're right up in the action with real people and real violence and all those kinds of things. And so totally. it it definitely is a lot more affecting in that way. Yeah, and then Luke Evans just like belting. Oh it yeah, out and you're like, oh god. <laughs> the range in that song for Gaston is way up oh. high and it's way down low and it, it, yeah. everywhere in between. It, it's 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 a fun song to sing. I'm sure. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, let's go ahead and move on to sort of takeaways from the film. Mm. So I would say th- the basic themes are all still there. You've got greater themes, though, of friendship and betrayal when it comes to Gaston and LeFou. You've got this theme of sacrifice when it comes to the Beast, but also in this version you have that coming from Maurice, who has sacrificed his wife, essentially, so that his daughter may survive and have a life for herself. So that that theme is expanded to another character. And then you have the idea of learning to see past the exterior for both Belle and the Beast. Belle's expectation of this monster, essentially, and looking past that. And then Beast looking down at this this damsel or maiden, however you want to see her, and realizing her strength within as well. And so them seeing past each other's exterior in order to to get to the soft interior. <laughs> Aww. Right. <laughs> What what about you? Any any sort of takeaways or things um, that might have been different that you didn't take away from the animated version but did take away here? No, I mean I pretty much, you know, any everything you said was pretty spot on. Yeah, I think it definitely the expansion of the characters just really helped take make the takeaway even feel more in depth. And yeah, I don't really have much to add to that. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad I covered it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what about final thoughts for the movie? Any things you th- haven't said compared to the original opinions, objective opinions, as like if the original did not exist, what would your opinion be? All those kind of things. Oh man, if the original didn't exist, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. That's the, I because I was actually thinking about this earlier. 
so much of this is sentimental that I, I don't, honestly, I don't think I can give an objective point of view on what I right, would think of right. it. I mean, if you haven't seen it, really do go see it. It's totally worth it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have much to say other than go see it. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. Everything about it is beautiful. The cinematography, the, obviously the music, the costumes. Holy cow. Yeah, the 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 set design and the production design and the yeah. costume design, all those beautiful things. Everything. Yeah. I would say if if the original if the Broadway didn't exist, I would like to think I would I would love this movie. I love this movie anyways. Yes. I think I might like it even more if those didn't exist because I wouldn't have those expectations going in. Sure. Now, like I said, I really don't have any dislikes of this movie. There, there's nothing to not like here. There were just those disappointments that were set up by my expectations. <laughs> and again, if I if I had paid a little bit more attention to the promotional material, if I had watched the trailers, if I had looked at the soundtrack or listened to anything, I think I would have realized, okay, this isn't the Broadway. There's not going to be any of that in here. And I wouldn't have been sitting through the movie thinking, okay, maybe now. Maybe oh, now. Yeah. And that, that's okay. That That's my own fault. And that's... A-okay. But again, compared to the original, it's still a good film. It's the same film. Anybody, I can't imagine people who are fans of the original going in and watching this and not enjoying it because all the scenes that you enjoy from the original film are in this one. Are here. Just mm-hmm. presented in a different light. Totally. And then it's just up to you. If you'd like the additional material, if you don't like the additional material, that's fine. But you're still going to see large swaths of the animated feature brought to life. Totally. So, I mean, that's the bottom line for me is I think everybody should see this if you enjoy Beauty and the Beast, even if you don't enjoy Beauty and the Beast. There's there's new stuff here. And I, I was talking with a guy on his podcast a couple of days ago about this movie, and he actually only saw the original two months ago. I'm oh, not going to dive into that, but he only saw that two months ago. And he likes this one more. He thought it was a more fleshed out oh. version. And that's what we've been spending this whole episode talking that's about how true. they do flesh out a lot. And, you know, I think with time, maybe I could share that same opinion. My roommate went and saw this yesterday with his fiance and he walked out saying he thinks it's better than the original. As much as he loves the original, he was Cogsworth in our production, by the way. And despite his character's representation in this movie, he walked out saying, I think it's better than the original film. So, I mean, take that as you will. I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, I still no, am holding on to that nostalgia. But I think that this is a beautifully made film and definitely worth the retelling. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, if that's all we have to say, I think this is the end of the fifth official bonus episode of Cinescope. Thank you so much for being here tonight, Jesse. <laughs> of course. Thank you for having me. You and I know we're going to be hearing some more of you pretty soon here on Cinescope. Yes. So everybody can look forward to that. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash podcast and at CinescopePod on Twitter. Please remember to go to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. It's a big help to expanding our audience. If you have feedback or ideas, you can email at thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're interested in co-hosting, if you have a movie that you love, that thing that you would like to talk about for 45 minutes to an hour, email me and I'd love to have you on the show. Now, Jesse, where can people find you online? Oh, goodness. Um, okay, so you can find me on Twitter at... <laughs> I really need to change this. At... <laughs> it's J. Nelly Bags. Yes, uh, it is. Yes, you heard that correct. That is J-N-E-L-L-Y-B-A-G-S. Uh, Thank you for that. I tell you the that. backstory there. Um, <laughs> uh, you can email me at jessienelsonmusic at gmail.com, and that is Jesse with one S and an I. You can think of it like Jedi. <laughs> yes, that, that's what my phone autocorrects your name to every time yes, I type it. And you can leave it that way because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
And um, I think that's all that I really have for online presence. Awesome. The best place to find me online is on Twitter at Chadadada. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. So there's a story there too, I'm sure, but uh, we're we're not going (laughs) to dive into our Twitter names. Um, I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And all the show notes, all the weird contact information, all the, the spellings that you don't have to type for yourself, you can find those in our show notes, which can be found in your podcast app or thecinescopepodcast.com. And that's all for this week, or for this bonus episode, at least. So thank you, Jesse. I've loved having you on the show and talking with you tonight and looking forward to talking with you some more. Yes, can't wait. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our fifth bonus episode. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back later this week with episode 34. Have fun and celebrate movies. Mm -hmm.